Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. Today, however, we're pretty much sticking right on the breastfeeding trail because my guest today is Dr. Allison Childress. Allison will be talking with us about breastfeeding after bariatric surgery. Dr. Childress, welcome to the show. Thank you, Marie. I'm so happy to be back on. And many of you might have heard Dr. Childress before, uh, but let me just tell you a little bit about her. Dr. Childress is an assistant professor at Texas Tech University and chief clinical dietitian at the Nutrition and Metabolic Health Institute. A licensed dietitian in Texas and New Mexico, she completed her dietetic internship and earned her master's degree in nutritional sciences from Texas Tech University, and she has since earned her Ph.D. She is board certified in sports dietetics and she's a certified personal trainer. She specializes in dietetics for cardiac, women's health, bariatric, pediatric and geriatric nutrition, as well as weight management. Dr. Childress has been recognized as an everyday hero by the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, and she has been published in the Journal of Nutrition Education and Behavior. She is a co-author of the Ultimate New Mom's Cookbook, a complete food and nutrition resource for expectant mothers, babies, and toddlers, along with Aurora Sattler from Page. Publishing in 2018. Now, lest you think that Dr. Childress is some sort of an academic guru uh, who can't get down to earth, you think otherwise, because let me tell you, (laughs) this woman is totally grounded. Actually, I thought of you this morning as I pulled a little bit of frozen avocado out of my freezer, because last time I heard you say that uh, avocado was practically a superfood. <laughs> Absolutely. And good for you for freezing it. So many people are so scared to freeze avocado. Well, you know, I just don't have a, if, if I'm going to buy it, I don't want to lose it. And as you know, it goes bad early. So I thought, oh, just try it in the freezer. You know, you really inspired me there. But today we're going <laughs> to talk about bariatric surgery and not to tell people to do it or to not do it, but uh, rather to think about the kinds of questions that they need to raise and the things that they can do themselves to put them in a better spot to breastfeed their babies. But before Before we get started really in earnest, could you give us just kind of an overview of, first of all, what is bariatric surgery? And in a general way, how does it affect anybody from the standpoint of nutrition, not just breastfeeding people, but people? Okay, great question. 
So, and you probably know, as also many of the listeners, that there have been some bariatric surgeries that have kind of come and gone. We, yeah. we have tried yeah. them. We realized they were not successful. They didn't work. And so I'm going to hit on and highlight probably the three most common ones that we see. Um, and I'll okay. start with the gastric sleeve. So the gastric yeah. sleeve is basically where the surgeon will remove about 80% of the stomach. It's actually removed from the body. And that 20% that's remaining is still attached to the esophagus and then the small intestine. So you no longer have a reservoir to hold food. It just kind of it flows through. And so okay. this is a great weight loss um, procedure for people who don't need to lose a lot of weight. Um, and the reason for this is it is only a restrictive surgery versus a gastric bypass surgery or a Roux-en-Y bypass surgery. That actually bypasses part of the small intestine. Therefore, we get some malabsorption, and, and those people are at a much higher risk for malnutrition. Okay. The third, the third kind of surgery that we see, and, and we don't see that very often, is what's called the duodenal switch. It oh, uh-huh. has even more, we bypass even more of the small intestine, and so there is even a more increased risk for uh, malnutrition. We don't see that as often. Um, it, it's it's um, done primarily in persons who are needing to lose a lot of weight. And it's done very carefully and on a selective basis because the person who, who gets that surgery does have to be so careful about their nutrition. Okay. Well, that's kind of why I wanted to start out with it, because as you know, I don't really know a whole lot about bariatric surgery, but I know that, uh, as you say, some of it has come and gone. So I wanted to make sure that we all kind of were singing off the same page, so to speak. So then... Uh, If I were the mom, I would be asking myself, let's say that I've already had the bariatric surgery or I'm thinking about uh, having the bariatric surgery. Will my baby be at risk of vitamin and or mineral deficiency if I breastfeed after bariatric surgery? So I would say, depending on the type of bariatric surgery, there might be a slight increased risk of certain vitamin and mineral deficiencies, but not all. However, we have to keep in mind that many, many women breastfeed after bariatric surgery and have no issues, but there are a couple of things that we need to to watch for. Okay. So So so, typically, uh, what are we uh, watching for? Yeah. Okay, so typically after um, babies who breastfeed after mom has had bariatric surgery might be at a little bit higher risk for possibly a vitamin B12 deficiency. Um, the other one that we need to make sure that we're um, keeping an eye on for baby is vitamin D. However, as you and most of your listeners also know, m- most breastfed babies need vitamin D supplementation anyway. And then the other one, the third one we kind of need to watch out for is zinc. Um, those yeah. are those yeah. are B12, B, uh, vitamin D, and zinc are kind of the biggest worries for a baby as far as um, a vitamin and mineral deficiency. Yes, uh, zinc, correct me if I'm wrong, because I am so not a nutritionist here. I'm just a nurse. But <laughs> as I recall, the, the zinc is especially important for brain and eye development. And the eye is one of the last things that develops in the baby. And in fact, when the baby is born, he has rather poor vision. So it seems like this would be a big one. Yes? Yes. And, and the great uh-huh. thing about it is, you know, for the most part, as long as mom continues to take her bariatric vitamins, as long as she continues to take her prenatal vitamin throughout her, her breastfeeding, she's probably getting enough zinc uh, to, to be adequate uh, for baby as well. Okay. 
Okay. And so you're saying that compliance with what they're supposed to be doing should set them in good stead. It should. Yes, there, there is no okay. reason why a, a woman who has had gastric bypass surgery or any type of bariatric surgery cannot successfully breastfeed as long as she continues on that, that, re- that vitamin and mineral regimen. So help me with this. I have always told women that they don't need to be on a special diet in order to breastfeed and that being in on a perfect diet is not going to be what makes milk volume. It's, it's actually not related to that. But certainly, if you have had the bariatric surgery, then that... I would not make that statement to a person who had made the who had done the bariatric surgery. It sounds like I need to say you've got a self-selected diet, but you've really got to be compliant with your uh, supplementation. You do. It does, you know, yeah. having the bariatric surgery does kind of throw a wrench in things. It's overcomable, but it does throw a wrench. So okay. what we know as far as milk composition is that <clears throat> there are three things that really impact milk composition. Our dietary mm-hmm. intake our nutrient stores, and then if we have any sort of alteration in nutrient utilization. And so we, if, as you can see, after a women's bariatric surgery, any of those three or all three of those things are a, a more of a concern than probably a woman who hasn't had bariatric surgery. So we do just have to be more diligent about that. All right. So I was always taught that a woman's nutritional status prior to pregnancy impacted her nutritional status during breastfeeding and that basically the body will pull out of the woman's body whatever it needs at her expense. Is that true? That is for the most part true. Now, there are a few nutrients Exceptions. That, uh-huh. that, that are dependent on intake, but but I would say for 90% of it, that's absolutely correct. Mom, you know, if anybody's going to suffer nutritionally, it will be mom, not baby. Uh-huh. Okay. So then let's go back to the dietary intake. What would be, um, where would mom put herself at risk? I guess that would be the question, especially from so, the standpoint so you of the bariatric. Very rightfully so. You talked about how, just now, about how those stores before pregnancy or diet before pregnancy plays a really, a really good role. So in bariatric surgery, this is even more important. If mom is at least one year out from bariatric uh-huh. surgery, and we prefer two, we really prefer uh-huh. two years, but uh-huh. if mom is at least a year out and mom has been very compliant with her vitamin and mineral regimen, getting her protein in, then she's probably in pretty good shape. Now, if mom hasn't, you know, if, if she's, you know, skipping vitamins and minerals, if she's not adhering to her protein intake, if she's within that first year, that's when we can see some issues um, with nutrition in the actual breast milk. Okay, so presuming that she's planning her pregnancy, which many people do, then she would look at ideally being two years out from her bariatric surgery as opposed to just any old time. That is ideal. We see the best pregnancy outcomes as well as the best breastfeeding outcomes at two years Uh post-surgery. Can we back up for a minute? Because I want to pursue this thing about, uh, you said, yes, most times the body will just take the stores out of the mother's body, but there are a few exceptions. Can you name us two or three of those exceptions, especially as they pertain to the woman who's had bariatric surgery or I suppose anybody? So what research has shown us is that 
the, some of the minerals that tend to be influenced most by, by, most by maternal diet are some of our trace minerals like manganese, oh. selenium, oh, uh-huh. iodine, and, and then on the vitamin side, B12. Those are our main yeah. ones. Electrolytes are typically not an issue because they're okay. determined by okay. a, a, a gradient in the cell. Um, okay. Iron, copper, and zinc levels, those levels in breast milk tend to be maintained no matter what maternal intake no is. So what. that's good because we yeah. know that that iron and zinc is so important. Um, I, calcium, I, phosphorus, and magnesium are also very tightly regulated in maternal serum. So those are going to be good in, in milk as well. All right. So let's go to the B12 then. I presume that you're going to encourage the woman to be eating the red meat as well as her supplements? That's correct. And, and, and really, okay. truly, status post-bariatric surgery, mom really does need a supplement. It, it would be very difficult for her to be able to eat the amount of food that she needs to eat to get all of her um, vitamin B12 every day. So a supplement is, is, is necessary. That's a really good way to put that because, uh, you know, in one sense, we don't want to scare people off. But in another sense, uh, we don't want them to just say, oh, I have really good eating habits. It's like, no, 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 no. You really you really need to stick with the supplements here. So then uh, we've talked a little bit about what is needed and some sources, as well as some things that can happen, the consequence for the mother. So then, let's say that she doesn't take her supplements or that she gets pregnant very soon after her bariatric surgery. Then what kinds of risks would happen to the baby if she's breastfeeding? So the, the very first thing, and, and we I've seen this in practice, you know, as much as we like to try to plan pregnancies, we can't always do that. And right. so sometimes right. we are going to run up so with some cases of women becoming pregnant within that first year, especially because as we begin to lose fat, we be, actually become more fertile. And so there's many women who think that they are infertile or think that they're unable to be pregnant, but once they start losing weight, they become right. pregnant. They're not taking precautions against it. And so surprise. You know, they're they're pregnant within that first year. Yes, yes. So the most important thing is if that happens, first and foremost, to go back to see her bariatric surgeon and see the the registered dietitian that is associated with that surgeon. The next thing is to jump on board with that supplementation as soon as possible. There are a few supplements that she could take extra of if needed. Um, There are a few supplements that she wouldn't want to take extra of. So it's very important to make sure that she talks to her physician. So um, especially with certain vitamins. So the recommendation from the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics is that mom needs to monitor her vitamin A, her B12, her folate, her iron, her phosphorus. Those are the vitamins and minerals that she really needs to monitor. Um, so those would be the ones that she would need to go and have checked as soon as she became pregnant so that then they, we, they could design a special supplement list for her. Okay, now I want to back up to that vitamin A for a minute before we go to break. And that is, um, oh, I'm looking at the study by Goretto and colleagues. And it it sounded to me like they were saying, no, there wasn't a problem with vitamin A after bariatric surgery. And you're saying, hello, we've got to be a little cautious. Yes, it's definitely one of those ones we need to monitor, especially in patients who have had that duodenal switch. Because that duodenal switch, remember, that's kind of the more radical of the surgery. Okay. We have a much harder time with fat-soluble vitamins. 
Yes. And yes. vitamin A yes. is a fat-soluble vitamin. It's fat-soluble, but absolutely. Okay. Well, as is vitamin D. And you mentioned that Correct. one earlier. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, now I'm getting it. So, really, I guess I'm sitting here thinking that... All is not lost. If you've had the bariatric surgery, yes, and and even if you get pregnant within the year, and, 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 all of those things, to a large degree, uh, with careful compliance with your program and with good monitoring, uh, you can have some good outcomes. Is In the short haul, is that kind of true? That's absolutely correct. Okay. Absolutely. Good. I always love to end a segment on a positive note. Okay. <laughs> yes. Do not go away. I will be back with Dr. Allison Childress right after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding issues. And today we're talking about breastfeeding after bariatric surgery with Dr. Allison Childress. So, Dr. Childress, did we say enough about composition of milk uh 
in relation to the dietary intake. And I want to go back a little bit to the bit about vitamin A, because I was always taught that because vitamin A is a uh, fat-soluble vitamin, it hangs around in the body, and if we overdo it, that vitamin A can become toxic. So in one sense, we want to tell people, get your vitamins, but in another sense, we want to tell them, I, I think especially about vitamin A, don't overdo it. So uh, how does this relate to your intake and how does this relate to your breast milk A or anything else you want to talk about here? That's a good, that's a really good question because, you know, I, I do think you're right. I think a lot of times people are a little bit afraid of vitamin A because we do know that it can be toxic and it can become toxic rather quickly. So yeah. kind of one way to get around that or to, or to maybe boost your vitamin A safely is by taking beta carotene. If we need vitamin A in the body, our body will take beta carotene and make vitamin A out of it. If we don't need any vitamin A, then we'll just excrete the beta carotene that we take. So that's a safe option if somebody's worried about their vitamin A status. I like it. Okay. I like it. Okay. So talk to us a little bit about supply because uh, it seems to me that if you've had your bariatric surgery, you're in a little different boat than the woman who has not had bariatric surgery. So how does the milk supply change in relation to her dietary intake? I suspect yes, but talk to us. Okay, yes. Supply definitely changes in relation to dietary intake. And I... It, women who have had bariatric surgery are susceptible, are more susceptible or have a much higher risk of this supply issue than maybe somebody who hasn't simply because of the fact that they may not be able to eat a lot of food or a lot of calories. So there, there is some research that shows a decreased milk supply with a prolonged energy deficit. Now, prolonged can be described in many ways, but most of the studies are, are looking at only a week. So at only a week of being in an energy deficit or not eating enough calories, we can see milk supply start to drop. However, the interesting thing is there seems to be a threshold. So if somebody's in maybe a slight calorie deficit, Perhaps somebody who's trying to lose a little bit of that baby weight while they're breastfeeding, milk yeah. supply isn't typically affected. But once we get to a certain deficit, it, it can definitely cause a milk supply issue. In fact, it can, we can reduce milk supply anywhere from 15 to 25% if we don't oh. have enough calories on board. But what do you mean by not enough calories? Because I'm going to go on the idea, I mean, clearly an adolescent person needs more calories than an older mother and a, a big woman needs more than a younger woman. But but when you say not enough calories, can you give us some parameters here for what that means? Yes. So most women who have had bariatric surgery are on a, have a calorie level that they follow, you know, okay. in, in relation to their bariatric surgery. So what, what our recommendations are as dietitians is you need 500 additional calories. So that's 500 more calories above and beyond what you would have taken in at, uh-huh. in that year after your bariatric surgery for the first six months. Now, the second six months that you breastfeed, you only need 400 extra calories per day. So it, it is quite a bit, you know, especially, you know, for a woman who hasn't had um, bariatric surgery, we really only recommend 350 extra calories a day. So it is, a, it is a little bit more once you've had that bariatric surgery. So just to be clear, you're talking about breastfeeding, not pregnancy. 
Correct. Yes, I'm talking about breastfeeding. Okay. So 500 okay. additional calories the first six months, 400 additional calories the second six months, but we ha- we need to have a minimum of 1,500 calories per day. So sometimes, yes, um, especially yep. patients who are very close um, or who are just out from their bariatric surgery, they may be taking in eight or 900 calories a day. So even adding that 500 is not going to get them up to that minimum of 1,500. So it's just going to depend where they're at in their, their state. Stage of, of post surgery. Allison, do are there people for whom it is more difficult to take in those those extra five hundred calories? Yes, um, especially persons who might be on uh, special diets. Maybe persons who have a hard time um, with fats. Maybe they have some. Oh, uh-huh. um, Okay. Issues digesting fats. Um, some vegans, vegetarians, those type, um, those types of diets can definitely cause some issues with getting those extra calories. Well, I don't mean just getting them, but uh, do they? Does their body feel okay, or do they feel nauseous, or do they get diarrhea, or uh, because I can imagine that I would say, well, geez, you know, I don't really feel very good if I have that. Do you encounter that or not? Yes. Absolutely, yes. So usually my fix for that is we take those 500 calories and we weave them in over five or six times a day. So instead of sitting down and eating an extra 500 calories, we might add a little bit of peanut butter to their normal piece of toast that they eat. So we sort of add that, and and we do it to where there's not a lot of volume. We go with a more nutrient-dense food than we do a a volume Food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because I know it, it kind of doesn't matter whether it's food or medicine or exercise or whatever it is. We all know that there are people that kind of want to be compliant, but when they get some sort of a, I'm going to use this term loosely, side effect, but you know what I mean. It's some effect mm-hmm. that they don't like, then they're kind of like, nah, I don't really want to do that. But you know from a, a standpoint that yeah, they really do need those calories. So I want to go back to the part about the prolonged, and you said one week. Okay, got it. Um, I want to ask you a question that people frequently ask me when I teach a live course, and I kind of hedge on this answer, but I think I'm right. Almost every religious group has some sort of a uh, fasting and if if a person is fasting for a short period of time, so I'm going to say less than a day, does that affect their nutritional the nutritional components of their milk, or does it uh, affect their volume if it's for a very very short time, less than 24 hours? So it's interesting you asked that question because as I was preparing for this um, podcast, I actually looked at research on that. And it, though, uh, for example, uh, persons who observe Ramadan and who go right. through fasting um, from right. sun up to sundown, sundown, um, yeah, there has been no effects found on composition or supply in those types of situations. No, no effects at all. Okay. Okay. Well, Which that's is great pretty- news. Yes, because that's what I tell people, but I've always felt like, you know, with lack of research, it's, you always kind of think to yourself, is there some research out there I'm not aware of, but I guess not. Okay, so in just a simple way, I know that when I eat more spinach or more cantaloupe or more whatever, I'm taking in more fluid. 
I know that if I take in less food, I probably take in less fluid. So if a mother has had bariatric surgery, what do you suggest that she consume for fluids? Well, and and you're right. Foods can definitely count towards our fluid. And so I tend to tell people when I give recommendations, I tell them how much I want them to drink, sort of knowing that they're going to get some of their fluid from food. Um, So typically, while you would think it would be a a large amount of fluid recommendation, it's really not much different from somebody who's not breastfeeding. Anywhere from about 64 to 80 ounces a day, so not even a full gallon of fluid, will provide enough fluid for composition and supply. So 64 ounces, which is about 8 cups of fluid, um, anywhere up to 10. So 8 to 10 cups, 8 ounce cups of fluid a day is, is all that's needed. Okay, I just want to clarify for our listeners, however, that drinking more water does not necessarily make more milk. That's that, correct. That is correct. Yes. I preach and preach and preach about this, that it is a uh, positive feedback loop where it's really more about the fact that you've got to get more stimulation, more milk removal, and you can drink 18 gallons of water in a day, but if you're not having that milk removal, you're not having that stimulation, the water the water alone is not going to make a difference. And so I guess I would say drinking the water is necessary but not sufficient for all all issues breastfeeding. How's that? That's right. There's definitely yeah. a mechanical component that has to happen yes. on the breast to get adequate Absolutely. supply. Yeah. Okay. All right, and so I'm going to guess that you're going to suggest to these people that they uh, drink more water as opposed to, well, I have never met a dietitian who ever encourages juice. Uh, so I'm kind of, I'm kind of thinking you're going down the water route. Is that what you're saying? Especially in patients who have had bariatric surgery, because in a lot of patients who have, if they drink something like juice or lemonade or some sort of sports drink, it's a very high sugar concentration, and they can get um, an, an issue that's called dumping syndrome. And uh-huh. they, they it, it's awful. It's a terrible, terrible, terrible feeling. Um, and so we really, really, especially in this population, would like for them to stay away from that and just stick with water or unsweet tea. Um, is fine as well. Sure. Okay. Uh, just a word which is peppermint tea or mint tea may have a um, uh, an effect of decreasing your milk supply. But before you go ape nuts, when I say that, just remember you would ha- you would have to drink a lot. A lot. So of it, if, yes. Yeah. So if you have a peppermint patty, it's no big deal. All right. But, you know, I can think of times when I sit and drink the mint tea all day long. Well, I'm not lactating, but I I would not do that if I were (laughs) lactating, you know. So you talked about the minimum number of calories that you should ingest. Did you say 1,500? 1,500 is the minimum. Minimum, yeah, okay. So you also somewhere in here talked about nutrient-dense foods. Mm -hmm. So I kind of know things that are not nutrient-dense. I know that I shouldn't be eating the potato chips and, you know, that kind of thing. But what would, if if there were maybe, I don't know, six or eight really nutrient-dense foods that are likable, easy to prepare, like, like not prepare, like just grab when you're a busy breastfeeding mother, what would those foods be? So um, typically nuts, nut butters, Mm. avocados, 
Mm. Um, cheese is a great one. Plus, cheese has got a good amount of protein in it, and, protein. and we have to monitor yep. protein also. A hummus is a great one. Mm, okay. um, so that, that's a good thing to add to. You can add that to a lot of different things. So, you know, that kind of gives us a pretty good list. Lean protein, you know, adding just a few, a little bit more chicken breast or mm-hmm. um, some lean beef to something is absolutely okay, too. And so that kind of gives us a good little list of some, some nutrient-dense foods. Yeah, and you know, uh, one of the things that I try to tell mothers, because I actually tell myself, is if you've got some leftover chicken from last night, save it for tomorrow's salad or dump it in your soup or whatever. Uh, you know, I had some soup for lunch and I said, oh, you know, I got this spinach leftover from yesterday. I guess I'll throw that in. And, you know, those are the kinds of things where you don't have to throw away food. And in fact, they're all cooked, so you don't have to prepare them. So that is is hugely helpful. I, I want to go to... Uh, is there anything in particular that you would really suggest that people with bariatric surgery, with or without the breastfeeding, would avoid foods that that really don't sit well with them? So a lot of times foods that are very high in simple sugars or simple carbohydrates, um, refined oh, uh-huh. foods, like we talked about before, the juices and the sodas and the sports drinks and lemonades, definitely. Um, it, it's sometimes... People can have a hard time with very dry and stringy meats, especially in that first year um, because they have a hard time digesting that. So sometimes a protein shake or a protein supplement is better. Alcohol is another one. So post-bariatric surgery, we are much more sensitive to the effects of alcohol than we are pre-bariatric surgery. And so I kind of always joke when I teach classes to people who are about to have their bariatric surgery is that they're the world's cheapest date ever now because they can have... (laughs) I love it. (laughs) They can have two or three sips of wine and it feels like they've had a whole glass. Uh Uh-huh. I'm trying to envision here, what would be a dry, stringy meat? Like something like skirt steak or something like that? Yes. So like um, flank steak, skirt steak, when you think about, um, like, for example, chicken breast. You know, a lot of times when we grill it or when we um, cook it on the stove, it can be very dry. So sometimes moistening that, I always I will tell my patients, chop it up fine and moisten it with a little bit of broth, and it makes okay. it so much easier to digest. You know, the, the more that we can do prior to a food getting into our stomach to help with digestion, the better. We're going to absorb and utilize the nutrients from that food so much easier. Before we go to break, does that apply to all of us? For the most part, I would say yes. Yes, any yeah. help that we can give our GI tract, our GI tract thanks us for. <laughs> oh, 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 okay. Well, I'm glad I ate my avocado this morning. So. <laughs> All right. <laughs> hey, everybody. I'm Marie Biancuto, and I'm here today with dietitian Dr. Allison Childress. Don't go away. We will be right back after this short break. We're going to talk more about bariatric surgery. See you soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash donor. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with Dr. Allison Childress. We are talking about breastfeeding after bariatric surgery or maybe even planning uh, before your bariatric surgery. All right. So you talked a little bit about supplements. You talked about supplements for the mother. Uh, You talked a little bit about the baby. We know that iron is important. We know that vitamin D is important. We know that the American Academy of Pediatrics has pretty much uh, what I guess I would call kind of a one-size-fits-all for vitamin D. And I would just like to caution our international uh, 
listeners that you might not care at all what the American Academy of Pediatrics says because they're American and the World Health Organization does not seem to be saying that. But we're here today with Dr. Allison Childress and we're going to find out what she has to say because she absolutely is an expert uh, on this area with or without the bariatric components. So tell us why iron is important. Talk to us a little bit about iron deficiency for breastfed babies, which we we know that it's, well, maybe not so much deficiency as depletion, but anyway, and vitamin D. Can you talk to us a little bit about both of those things? Yes. So the, the great thing about iron is it stays relatively constant in breast milk until about month six. And then what we see is it may decline some, but this is usually okay because baby has started solid foods by then. And a lot of times is uh, consuming some iron fortified cereal and those sorts of things. So the good news is we don't have to worry too much about iron. The other good news is most of the time babies don't need any additional supplements if they're breastfeeding after mom has had bariatric surgery. There are no additional recommendations for baby other than just that vitamin D supplement of 400 IUs per day. Okay. Now, we, we talked a little bit before about B12, and, and you kind of yep. wanted uh, to talk about that here. B12 deficiency we can see in infants if mom is not following her vitamin and mineral regimen. So to kind of give you some things to look for um, as far as uh, like a, a vitamin B or vitamin B12 deficiency in baby, signs and symptoms of that would be like vomiting, being super, mm. super tired, um, some anemia. When we start seeing failure to thrive, so uh, low muscle tone, meaning the baby just doesn't seem to be holding her, his or her head up well, doesn't seem to be pushing up on her hands well. Uh, and, and B12 can also lead to some developmental delays, or what we sometimes see is baby will regress. So maybe B12 composition is good for a while, and then it starts to wane because mom maybe gets lax on her vitamins, and we can actually see some developmental regression in the baby. So let me understand this. You're saying that the B12, we're talking about the bariatric patient. We're saying that mother is vitamin B12 deficient for whatever reason, and so if so, it's likely that baby will be B12 deficient. Is this either before or after the six months when the stores are depleted? I think you're saying maybe both? Mom... Yes, mom could start lactation B12 depleted or mom could become B12 depleted over time. So that's why it's really important that she is screened for those certain vitamins and minerals, you know, right off the bat so she knows what she's low in. Would that screening be more frequent for a bariatric? I, I guess it would be more more frequent. Absolutely. For uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All righty. Uh, typically, how often do they uh, monitor? I, if, if, if someone was thinking of becoming pregnant, pregnant, or breastfeeding, I would say at least every 6 to 12 weeks. So okay. every, you know, 90, 90 days on average. Okay. Okay. Wow, that seems to make a lot of sense. But you've also, I think, really helped us to understand that uh, it's not just the lab values. It's also looking at your baby, looking at the baby's behavior. And also, I was interested in what you said about regression, because Mm -hmm. you're saying that that baby really has achieved the milestone of, I don't know, we'll say holding up his head or whatever. And now he's no longer able to do that. 
Yes. And that's very yes. scary for parents. Um, you know, they, they immediately might think that, you know, might think the worst, worst case scenario. And, and, you know, B12 plays such a vital and critical role in our nervous system that the great news is once we replete that B12, they will go back to the state that they were in before the regression. It's a, it's a very quick recovery, which is nice. What do you mean by quick, quick recovery? It, it, it's days usually. You know, once oh, once we get B12 okay. back and nervous system is functioning correctly, they can usually get those skills back very quickly. Wow. Okay. That's so encouraging. But I think that makes it even more important for the parent to watch out for that and then get help quickly because the turnaround can be quick as well. It can. And, you know, I always tell moms, and I'm sure you do the same, is that you are the expert of your baby and you are Absolutely. an advocate for your baby. And if you see these signs, you you push until you get some answers. You know, it's funny. I learned that lesson years, decades ago, actually, when I was uh, working as a nurse in labor and delivery. I have found that when the mother says she's got to push, I might not think that there's any logic to why she needs to push right now. But if she says she needs to push, she needs to push. And I carried that over to my understanding of when the mother says, my baby does this, doesn't do that. I'm worried about my baby for whatever. Mothers know. They just know. They do. It's um, it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, Yeah, so true. All righty. So we talked a little bit about amounts. So let's say that I'm a mom and let's say I've had my bariatric surgery and let's say that I'm going on, you know, a year or so post-bariatric surgery. Do I need to start calling my friendly neighborhood dietitian or do I talk to my surgeon or kind of like what's my first step for making sure that my body is in good shape for a pregnancy and then, of course, later as a breastfeeding mother. What's the first few steps, maybe? First step is exactly what you said. Make an appointment with your surgeon and the dietitian that is associated with your surgeon. Um, okay. And, you know, I, I've, I've counseled plenty of women who are, who are preconception. You know, even women who haven't had bariatric surgery, they want to come and make sure that they are, have optimum health before they have a pregnancy. So, yes. you know, per, persons who have had bariatric surgery just have to take that a step further. They probably do need to go see their physician. They do need to have a lab workup. They do need to talk to the dietitian so that he or she can analyze their intake and, and make recommendations as far as vitamin and mineral and protein supplementation goes. I think it's a great idea. And then I would, I would follow up with that dietitian throughout pregnancy and then as breastfeeding commences as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I doubt that we've got a scrap of research on this, but in your professional opinion, would you say that women who have had the bariatric surgery get more worried about if they're going to be in a good nutritional status or if their babies are going to be at risk? Yes, I would say so, but uh-huh. also kind of in that same vein, they do tend to be more concerned. They also tend to do a lot better job than others of, of uh-huh. making sure that they are well-nourished because they do know that they are at such an increased risk. Okay. Uh, again, that's kind of like um, <laughs> mothers seem to understand that this is not just about them. It's about their baby, and they got to do what they got to do in order to put themselves in a good spot. Would you agree? Yes, and, and, you know, more and more and more research comes out. I see it almost every day 
about chronic disease or um, other types of afflictions that we we are exposed to or that happen to us in utero. And so, you know, we're mm-hmm. finding more and more things that are, are tied to think that what happens to us before we're even born. And so, you know, it's, it's incredibly important that mom be is has optimal nutrition and optimal physical status going into a pregnancy. I want to go back to this vitamin D thing because I'm thinking about having spent a big part of my life living outside of Rochester, New York, or actually living in Rochester, New York, which uh, is typically a very not sunny city. Most days it has cloud cover. You know, it's like Toronto. We're just on the other side of the lake. Thank you very much. And uh, what does sunlight have to do with this? And is it adequate? Is it helpful to take yourself or your baby out in the sunlight? It can definitely be helpful for mom, but as far as baby goes, it's probably not a good idea to keep baby in the sun too terribly long. Now, for adults, if we go outside about 15 minutes a day in full sunshine, relatively unclothed, now we don't have to be completely naked, but we do need arms and legs showing, we can make enough vitamin D for our daily needs. Babies are are not quite that efficient at it yet. Right. So if the mother's vitamin D status, no, I got to go in the other direction, I guess. If the baby's vitamin D status is less than ideal, what's the first strategy to to treat the baby or to treat the mother? To treat baby. As far as vitamin D goes, to treat baby. Because believe it or not, mom's vitamin D status doesn't have as much effect on baby's vitamin D status as we would think. It's one of those that is not as affected as much. So baby's our first line there. Okay. Okay. And also, what has been your experience in working with these uh, moms about their, because I'm not aware of any research that shows this, so I'm more than eager to, uh, well, as I often say, one nurse's observations do not a study make, but one nurse's observations over several decades are absolutely worth listening to when there is no research for it. Uh, would, Would you say that moms with bariatric surgery do tend to say, yes, yes, I'm going to breastfeed, and they tend to stick with it? Or would you say they they come in and they are too worried about their status or feel that they can't get help or do a good enough job? How does this shake out in real life? In, in real life, what I've seen is a lot of patients who have had bariatric surgery are fearful of breastfeeding. Yeah. They want yeah. it on one hand because they know it's best for babies. They their baby. know it will yeah. help with their own weight. But a, a lot of times what we see is, especially if they've become pregnant very soon after that bariatric surgery, they may still have obesity. And so just um, that can cause some difficulty. A lot of times, too, yeah. as we have very, very quick weight loss, breast tissue changes. And I'm not talking about mammary Absolutely. gland tissue, but I'm talking about nipples just, and, right, and right, right. just the breasts themselves that can make um, breastfeeding more difficult. So it, it is not as common in bariatric surgery patients to do it because they, they a lot of times those women typically just have a little bit more obstacles to overcome. Sure, sure. I can understand that. I can absolutely understand that. And certainly, as you probably know, there is some literature that suggests that when women are obese, they can have some delay in their milk coming in. Yes, yes. And my experience is, 
it kind of doesn't even matter what the reason is. When women see that their milk does not come in in a timely fashion, they do become discouraged. They do lose confidence. They want to do it, as you correctly said, but they feel like they can't or they're not good enough. And then they start to go on that whole downhill thing of beating themselves up. Uh, So I I, I think you're also saying that, uh, well, I'm sure it depends, but how long would you say, percentage-wise, how much weight can they lose after their bariatric surgery before they notice a substantial difference? As far as you know, body, body changes? And yeah, yeah. With, we see the most substantial weight loss within that first year. And they okay. could lose up to you know, maybe 50, 60% of their excess weight, you know, not their starting weight, but just the excess weight that they have. Okay. So, and it happens relatively, relatively rapidly. After that first year, a lot of times it's maintenance. We may see a little bit of a drop after that, but most of it happens pretty quickly. Yeah, and that really substantiates. I feel like we've come full circle here. Comes uh, substantiates what you said at the beginning, which is we really try to encourage them to not get pregnant during that first year. That makes so much sense. Before we finish up today, any final thoughts that you would like to deliver to either the woman who's had the bariatric surgery or thinking about getting the bariatric surgery or the professional who's taking care of her? So, so to the woman who's thinking about bariatric surgery, it is definitely a life-saving and life-altering procedure for a lot of people. And I mm-hmm. think sometimes um, it, it, it kind of has a bad rap sometimes. People mm-hmm. think, well, this mm-hmm. is the easy way out. Well, it is not. And, <laughs> and people who have bariatric surgery still have to work just as hard, if not harder, than other people for, with their weight loss. But it can it really does save lives. I've worked, I worked in bariatrics before, and I've seen life after life after life saved. And so wow. it's definitely something to consider. And and to the to the practitioner who is taking care of that mom who has had bariatric surgery, be empathetic and be kind, and and yeah. try not to let your own personal biases get in the way of of your care and what you what you think of of that mom. Yes, it all comes down to basic respect for people's choices and people's difficulties. You know, it's <laughs> in some senses seems so simple, and yet. Uh, We all have to remember that, that's for sure. Uh, Dr. Childress, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, Very much enjoyed talking to you, and I think that everyone has much to learn from all that you've shared with us today. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Marie. Alrighty. And for those of you who are listening, just remember, we've got plenty of good stuff lined up. We have got so many good topics coming in the next, mm, I don't know, probably 15 weeks or so. We have got some excellent guests lined up. And then, of course, you've always got me. (laughs) I'm Marie Biancuto. In the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby.